Because these sanctions are having an impact, Russia is trying to get around them. This year, a central piece of our strategy is to take further actions to disrupt Russia's attempts to evade our sanctions. There should be no doubt that we work against sanctions circumvention. We propose to ban shadow entities from Russia and third countries who are intentionally circumventing our sanctions. Sanctions against Russia are about to be tightened once again. And this time, shipping is very much the focus from regulators in both the US and the EU. US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is in Japan this week ahead of the forthcoming G7 talks. But as you heard there, she's pulling no punches when it comes to Washington's intention to crack down on Russia's ability to skirt sanctions. And she's not the only one ramping up the rhetoric. You also heard European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen hanging out with Ukraine's President Zelensky in Kyiv this week, where she confirmed that the focus of the forthcoming 11th package of sanctions measures that is currently being worked on in Brussels will be to crack down on circumvention. Now, none of this is much of a surprise. Lloyd's List subscribers knew about the Commission's plans to target ships that are repeatedly turning off AIS signals and engaging in ship-to-ship transfers as part of a programme of sanctions skirting, well, a full two weeks before the mainstream press started reporting on this this week. And yes, that is a not-so-humble brag and a plug to subscribe, so see LloydsList.com for details. But the reason I want to talk about this regulator crackdown this week is because the details of what both the EU and the US are about to agree is likely to have a pretty significant impact on shipping, in my view. So to help me interpret the political signals and explain the practical consequences of what this all means for shipping, I've dragged in Lloyd's List's resident queen of sanctions and uncoverer-in-chief of deceptive and dodgy shipping practices, our senior analyst Michelle Fiesi-Bachman. Hi Richard. We are in an interesting period um, for uh, sanctions and shipping. We've had this period where we've been to quote one of our favourite lawyers, drinking from a fire hose over the last 12 months. And we've had this influx of sanctions. But what we haven't really seen is a heavy duty enforcement on the part of the regulators. Now, it does appear from the rhetoric that what we're going to start seeing is both the EU and the US start cracking down and shipping is very much in their sights. Now, that's interesting. And we are yet to see the detail. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But You've been beavering away in the background on a number of different things. So I, I kind of want to start by you know, getting you to explain to our listeners what's going on behind the scenes and what's the general feeling? Because not all of this is particularly visible to everybody, I don't think. Yes, Richard. Well, sometimes the, the story behind the story is more interesting than the actual story. Um, so I can say that in the past month, I don't think I've spent so many hours dealing with lawyers and challenges to methodology and assessments and anything we've published about sanctions, circumvention, sanctions evasion, and even, you know, the tankers that are engaged in shipping legally, completely within sanctions guidelines, shipping Russian oil. It's quite extraordinary for me. So I would say that the industry and especially marine service providers 
that may or may not be engaged in in some of these services are very, very spooked about pending um, revisions to Mm. sanctions. And I think they have been in a state of denial about the extent to which they may be involved. And I'm speaking about um, registries or classification societies, insurers, banks. They are trying now, after coming out of their state of denial, I think they're trying to shoot the messenger. So hence these these legal threats and challenges that have been um, part and parcel of your life and my life for the last couple of weeks especially. But now I think um, everybody is becoming more circumspect that this landscape is here, that it's going to be constantly changing, that it's going to remain intense, and that really, you know, we're all in it for the long haul. You know, sanctions are expanding. They're not winding back. And if anything, as the geopolitical climate intensifies and we're seeing this alignment between the US and the EU on sanctions implementation, you know, I, I think we've got to buckle up, buckle in, buckle up. It's going to be a, a pretty frantic and very difficult ride for, for many in shipping. Because it's interesting. I should caveat all of this by saying that when we're talking about the EU's 11th package, this is still very much a draft discussion. We've seen documents being bandied around, uh, but the process requires all 27 EU member states to ratify the detail. And the detail is what we are interested in. From what I understand from my sources, we are looking at a plan to extend the existing port ban wording as the mechanism that will effectively mean enforcement will fall to the port. Now, that's interesting in itself, because there is a requirement there for the member states to give their ports and port services enough detail about what is and isn't considered to be deceptive shipping practices. Now, the detailed wording and guidance is going to be crucial there because there is currently no way that I can see this going to be a uniform adoption across all states. Uh, Could we see an EU drafted series of guidelines on deceptive shipping practices and what constitutes the dark fleet? Well, yeah, I think we probably could. Uh, And how is the EU planning to require states and ports to source their data and analysis on this one? That's not clear. And while we've seen some guidance from the US recently, we haven't yet heard from the EU on the detail. Um, But again, we need to see what comes out of this process. At the moment, my industry sources are pretty concerned about how this is going to play out because, frankly, there's so many ways this could get very complicated for the industry, particularly for the ports. Um, You know, when we've seen this happen before, we've seen an initial ambiguous wording coming from the commission. And then we've seen that sort of uh, hastily produced series of FAQ documents. And that's really where we're looking. That's what is going to interest the lawyers and what everybody really needs to focus on, I think. Well, I think the, the problem that they have is that, you know, the rhetoric is fine, but I'm not sure what they can do about some of the practices and the sanctions circumvention and evasion. I mean, ship-to-ship transfers have been mentioned. Now, some of our listeners may or may not know that one of the ways that Russia is facilitating its exports of, of crude and diesel 
to longer distance countries in China over its traditional market in Europe. It's been establishing ship-to-ship transfer hubs in international waters, so it's not subject to jurisdiction of um, European port state control, but just outside of Greece in waters off the of Kalamata, also um, off uh, the Sueta and, and near Gibraltar. And I'm not sure how they're going to target that. There have been, um, the oil price cap seems to be working quite well. There are a lot of Greek ship owners are now comprising about 46% of tankers that are calling at Baltic and Black Sea states. That seems to be fulfilling the, the requirements of the oil price cap to reduce oil, oil money to the Putin regime while keeping oil prices stable. There's not that much in their toolkit. I think the ambiguity factor is probably the best card they can play, and that's been that's a playbook from the US where they use have used that in their sanctions against Iran and Venezuela. But the other thing I'd like to note is that we're seeing levels of engagement between regulators, the US State Department, the EU, and all of those involved at very high levels of government throughout the Western economies, they are having levels of engagement with the shipping industry that I've never seen before. They really want to understand how shipping works and get into the nuts and bolts of how these sanctions can be implemented. And that's probably been one reason why they're now in a position where I think they can trail things and then go back to the industry and and they've got the best chance of putting together something that works. And I think that's a really important point. We've mentioned this in reports, but I'm not sure we've mentioned it on the podcast before. But, you know, you and I both know people who had been meeting with representatives of both the US and EU regulation fraternity uh, several years back when Iran was the uh, flavor of the day for sanctions. And it's fair to say that they probably didn't really understand much if anything, about how the shipping industry really worked. Cut to today, some of the most informed people are actually sitting within the US State Department. Uh, OFAC is extraordinarily extraordinarily well-informed about what is going on. The EU is entwined within the industry in terms of how it's actually adopting these uh, measures and talking about uh, what they are going to do with the industry before it happens. So these rhetoric uh, you know, these signals that we are uh, hearing from uh, people like Yellen and von der Leyen, they are significant because they do uh, suggest that the regulators are now ready to move. And this isn't just going to be, you know, some ambiguous um, tut-tutting and, and, and asking the industry to comply. They are ready to move on this because they are already talking to the people. And as you say, we are now seeing a, a level of coordination between both the US and the EU in a way that we haven't really seen before. I know for a fact that you know several people tasked with disrupting the Dark Fleet are going to be landing in London next week in time to start discussing this with UK and European officials. You know these conversations are happening on a daily basis behind the scenes, and it's it's time that they are going to start cracking down. This there is a big push coming. Yeah, I think also it's very discomforting to the shipping industry because we thrive on opacity and 
what's being demanded of the shipping industry now is accountability and transparency and beneficial ownership, knowing who you're dealing with. Um, it's been said before, but you know everybody is aware now that you just cannot check whether or not a company or an entity or a person is on a sanctions list or has been designated by the US and if not, just happily go about business. There are really tough questions being asked about beneficial ownership. Does that person have a level of control that breaches sanctions? You know, the everyone is really having to get in the weeds and because the sanctions landscape is constantly changing, really stay on top of these things. And I'm... I'm very convinced, especially from, you know, even the the scrutiny that we're facing with our reporting on the dark, so-called dark fleet that, you know, and the pushback that we're getting, that there's extraordinary sensitivity and discomfort about what's being asked of mm. shipping. I think the other final point to make, and, you know, you can talk to the detail here, but, you know, in looking at this dark fleet, and I suspect we are slightly to blame in coining the term dark fleet but you know this is not activity that is somehow invisible this is not activity that is out of the realm of um the regulators to be able to deal with because they know what's going on these are uh, deceptive practices but they are deceptive practices that are being watched extremely closely by the regulators as well as the media and you know ngos like uh yuani united against iran you know to suggest that this is somehow uh, you know, dark activity that is invisible is perhaps misleading to to our listeners. True, true. I mean, and just for for those that are scratching their heads and thinking, dark fleet. What's the dark fleet? It's a group of about four hundred and fifty tankers, about ten percent of the internationally trading fleet. That under our methodology, we now believe is solely deployed in shipping sanctioned US, uh, US sanctioned Venezuelan and Iranian crude, and also Russian crude, some outside the oil price cap guidelines and some within, but that number within the guidelines is, is diminishing daily, I think, as the sanctions crackdown looms. And that's the other flip side to, to sanctions is that this is it's been this foreign policy response that has driven the evolution of the dark fleet. It has evolved in response to these Iranian and Venezuelan sanctions. So, you know, where where is this going to go, Richard? I really don't know. It's um, very, very difficult and troubling times for the tanker sector as they try and negotiate this very, very complex regulatory minefield that's um, coming their way. Well, you ask where it'll go. I, I fear we've already seen the beginning of where it has started to go, and that is evidenced by the Pablo, the tanker that exploded um, uh, in the beginning of this month. That was, in many respects, the uh, the poster ship for all that is wrong with the Dark Fleet. And you know, when we are accused of gleefully chasing this stuff as journalists, you know, we have to keep in mind why we are doing this. There is the reality now that the Dark Fleet comprises, as you've pointed out, nearly ten percent of the tanker fleet floating around the world my concern is not necessarily the politics of it although that is obviously a concern in terms of the risk and compliance for our subscribers the main concern that i have is that we've now got a significant portion of an older fleet that are outside of the scrutiny of mainstream shipping they are no longer being checked by serious flag states they are outside of mainstream pni insurance they are not getting the scrutiny of 
reputable uh, flag and port state services. You know, this is an environmental and safety disaster waiting to happen. And I would argue that it has already started happening. The Pablo is a prime example of what happens when you do not have scrutiny that is transparent. Yeah, and just adding to the whole Pablo debacle in which, sadly, three seafarers have lost their lives and there was no oil spill only because the tanker was in ballast. But when I checked on the classification society that provided that safety and technical um, scrutiny to the vessel, it's actually hidden behind a layers of corporate ob- obfuscation as well. We actually could not track down the the classification society that was involved. The flag state, Gabon, has not responded. Beneficial owner remains unknown. The, the insurer is not known. And it, it's, I think, until there is an oil spill or until there is some sort of shouting about the issue, then regulators, including the International Maritime Organization, won't be minded to do something. But, you know, it's flashing red. Indeed, indeed. Um, This is a topic, sadly, I fear we are going to come back to time and time again. And once we know the detail of what is happening both in the EU and the US, we will come back to you with more. But for now, Michelle, thank you for joining the podcast and thank you all for listening. Thank you, Richard.